good morning. Good morning. Uh, today, as we talk and go through our message today, I'm hoping that it will help answer at least maybe one of the ways in which, uh, even as Pastor Andrew was saying, um, the voice of God and hearing the voice of God and trusting the voice of God, and sometimes how in our lives we don't trust the voice of God, and we maybe don't think he's big enough to handle it all. Uh, maybe today's message is going to be uh, a part of just helping you walk through that and work through that. Because as humans, we love predictability, don't we? Anybody here love predictability? Even if you didn't put up your hand, even if you're like, no, I'm a chaos agent. You know what? That is your predictability. That is your predictability. You're predictable in being unpredictable, right? But just think of this. You know, you probably always put on the same shoe first. And if you think about it, you're probably one of those persons, always a right shoe or always a left shoe first. We always do that. You, you'll find yourself always putting on, now afterwards you're gonna be like, just looking, paying attention, but you probably do. You probably have a routine when you get ready in the morning. When I, after I've gotten dressed, I put on my watch, my ring, and my medical alert bracelet because of my adrenal issue. But I always have an order that I put them on, all right? It's always ring, bracelet, then watch every single day. I don't know why I put it on in that order, but that's just the order that I put them on. You probably have a, a, a same breakfast meal that you eat pretty much regularly all the time, right? And uh, do you sit in the same seat at church every week? Pretty much, pretty close, pretty close. I know where to look for you to see whether you're here or not on a Sunday morning, right? I know where to look, right? Our lives thrive on, on having that type of predictability. Whether we eat, when we drink water, whether we exercise with regularity, all these things go to our benefit. And so we try to create patterns of predictability for ourselves. Even our bad habits, even our bad habits, they give us some comfort. It may be unhealthy, but we have them for a purpose. They help us, even in an unhealthy way, cope with what we're going through in life. And you think that even, even as Canadians, we should, we should know this one, right? The weather. We look for predictability in our weather, don't we? That's why we gripe about it when, the, when, the, when our weather predictions are off. When they're like, oh, it's going to be sunny today and it's all cloudy. And what do we do? We have to talk to everybody about how the weather isn't what we thought it was going to be today. Because we like that predictability. So predictably Canadian of us. We also look for it in our relationships, don't we? We like the predictability of people's responses to us. And again, even if that predictability is their unpredictability, sometimes we are a predictable person and we love having that person that is fun and zany and crazy and we have no idea what they're going to do next. But that's predictable. We can predict that we don't know what's coming next rather than I know that they're always going to be the same no matter what. All right? We, we like that predictability. And if today, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that this penchant for predictability enters our relationship with God, right? That we want to see some predictability in God. And 100%, 100% right off the bat, there's absolutely aspects of God that never change. The Bible says this, that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. For all of our tomorrows, every tomorrow, he is the same. But if we pause and think through scripture, though, 
No matter how consistent God's behavior is, people seem to be caught off guard by what he does. How his consistency manifests in our reality. They're looking for something different from him than he actually does. Did Noah see a flood coming? Did Abraham see a child coming in his old age? Did Esther see a forced beauty pageant as a way to save her people? Did Gideon see a water break by by a river as a way to pick an army? Or jars of clay as the best weapon to defeat a much larger force against him? Even though to us they seem like predictable ways that God would move, we're always looking in the Bible for God to move in those miraculous ways. For them, though, that is not what they anticipated God to do. Priests and Pharisees that we see in the Bible and scribes, what would they do? They would try to create very regimented predictability for their lives, wouldn't they? They'd find rules, 613 rules in the Old Testament that if followed perfectly would lead them to that predictable place they thought it would take them to. But how that would ultimately be their demise. We could go on. We could go on with that. But ultimately, the biggest surprise we would see in Scripture is Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, being born in a manger, being a humble carpenter in a backwater town, an itinerant rabbi, teacher with no place of his own, who would save Israel and the world by a blood-stained cross, an empty tomb, and a poured-out Holy Spirit. Sometimes predictability helps us. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it can lead us to abandon our primary call to follow Jesus rather than to look for formulas. If we play a game of Simon, it's, it's kind of like playing a game of Simon Says with, with Jesus where he's the one leading us and stuff like that and we get caught trying to predict what the next thing is or getting caught in how this all looks and we, we look to predict his answers rather than listen and obey. So today we want to answer this question, when it comes to God, why is following always better than formulas? Last week we saw the Holy Spirit fall on 120 in an upper room, men and women, old and young. We learned that the Holy Spirit is not just a gift, but necessary for our walk with God, as Jesus commanded them to wait for the person of the Holy Spirit. The church would begin to explode in those early days. Even that very first day, as if upwards of 3,000 people were added to their number. What a beautiful moment and beginning. This, though, would soon turn into hardship because the established way of doing things, the predictable patterns of what was supposed to be what it looked like to follow God, were not happy with them. And persecution would happen. Religious leaders in Rome would not be happy with, with what this early church was doing. And if, if, we follow, if you're following along in our, in our uh, uh, Becoming Heartstrong plan, as we read through the Bible, chapter by chapter, each day and each week, you know that this week we're heading into the next section. In chapter, uh, Acts chapter 12, it sets the scene for what's taking place 
It says in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, it says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the days of unleavened bread. By this point, there's become a predictability in the persecution of the way, which is what they called the early church. They preach an unashamed gospel to a culture that thinks they were righteous in crucifying Jesus. And more than that, both James and Peter, they knew that they would lose their lives for Jesus. If we went back and we read in, in, in Mark chapter 10 or John 21, we'd read of Jesus telling them of what they would encounter and saying, you're going to have to follow me in this. They may not have known when they were going to lose their lives, but they knew it would come. What must have been going through Peter's mind when he was arrested? He had seen his long friend, John, and fellow church leader violently killed. And if we remember, he was, he was in business with John before they were called to be disciples. He saw somebody that he'd, he'd probably potentially grown up with killed violently by King Herod and now he's arrested. We can imagine what his brain must have been going through, the whirling of going in his brain. Is this going to be the time where, like Jesus said, I'm going to have to pay the price to follow him? Is this going to be my time? We read, though, Peter was arrested during, during that Passover. And unlike Jesus, who was, who was crucified during the Passover by the Romans, Peter is arrested by King Herod, a Jewish king. And so during Passover, they would not do any harm to him. And so he's placed in prison. We pick up the story in verse 6, where it says, Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains to the soldiers. And sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Now, before we even go any farther, that should give us a mindset of where Peter is right there, shouldn't it? John has been arrested and killed, right? John the Baptist he had seen faced a similar fate. And what is he doing? He's fast asleep. He's fast asleep. He's not stressed out. He's not worried. He's not having a sleepless night before what he thinks will be his execution. He's sleeping and sleeping hard. Reminds us of what Paul was like when Paul was arrested with Silas and they're in jail. What do they do? Right? They have a worship service. What kind of mindset they did, did they really have in those moments? You'd think they would be so stressed and so worried and so anxious about what was going to happen and where God was in that moment. And yet there's peace. Let's continue. Again, the angel had to strike him on his side, right? It wasn't just like, hey, Peter. He actually had to like kick him, wake him up. But he says, get up quickly. 
And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So he's so <laughs> sleepy, he's so tired, he thinks he's having a vision. That's, that's sleeping heart. When they had passed the first and the second guard, because it would have been in the jail cell and then another set of guards outside and then another set of guards outside the building, when they passed by the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people that were expecting. Really? Really? Now you understand. I always find it comical. When he's, now he's outside, miraculously outside of a prison and having been jailbreaked by an angel. And he's like, Now I understand an angel has saved me. James was an apostle. Peter was also an apostle. James, he was full of the Spirit. And Peter, he was also full of the Spirit. James was martyred for his faith. But Peter, at this time, was rescued. This, this hardly seems fair, doesn't it? Why does the Holy Spirit intervene for Peter? And why didn't the Holy Spirit intervene for James? Some, when they read this, they'll point to what it says in, in verse 5 and verse 12 and try to make a formula of it. Because in those two verses, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And, he, and then after he got out, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other's name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. But we have to ask ourselves, would we actually believe that nobody prayed for John when he was arrested? Would we maybe think that it was because Peter was arrested over Passover and he had a couple of hours or a couple of days before he would actually be executed, that that amount of time they were able to gather more people and enough people to have enough prayer in order to have him saved? Would we create some type of formula that that's what it takes in order for us to see the result that we're looking for? Would we limit God, what Jesus does, to our heart's desire and our prayer about that? In our trying times, when we call out for justice, when we pray for mercy, when we pray for the impossible to become possible, it can be painful to process when it doesn't come. That following Jesus sometimes involves pain and struggle. There's no formula to avoid it. No prayer or deed that we can do that gives us that get out of jail free card. I've prayed that my cancer would be healed instead of needing surgery and treatment. And then I prayed for my treatment to be problem free. Now my body would be healed. But neither of those things happened in those moments. 
But it isn't a formula that guarantees my healing when I want. It's only Jesus and the person of Jesus that can bring that about. So I will follow him and I will trust him, not just if he does what I want, when I want, and how I want. Now, in following Jesus, there are principles. There are biblical principles that we do need to apply. And, and prayer is one of them. And it, it's clear and certain in the Bible that we are supposed to bring these things to prayer. And that there are moments we can, when we're sick, we can go to the elders and get, our, get laid, laid hands on and, and some will receive healing. Those, those things are there in the Bible for us to do. And healing is in the Bible that can happen. But either turning it into a formula, it's dangerous when they replace the need just for Jesus himself to be central in everything. It is true, by his stripes, we are healed. We are healed of the sin condition in our hearts. And it's also true that we will receive a full healing in new bodies. But we're not guaranteed that that's going to happen right here and right now. Just like our salvation is, is told that we, we can repent and be saved. But then another part of scripture says that we are working out our salvation. And then another part says our salvation is waiting for us. There's a process to it. Yes, you are saved. Jesus covers you. Yes, you are processing your salvation. And yes, your salvation is not yet complete because you are still here and not in heaven. You are not in the presence of God Almighty. So your salvation has not yet come to its full completion. Because right now, this is not the end of it. This is not what it looks like to be fully saved and fully in God's presence. There's yet another thing that we are waiting for and hoping for in him. The same thing applies to even how our healing happens. Yes, your, your heart can be healed of the sin nature. Yes, you are processing that healing in your life as you go. And yes, there will be a new body for you in heaven. Basic principles are true. And whether we get healed and whether we don't get healed, they're not, necessar not necessarily a sign of lack of faith or poorly applied prayers and principles. Biblical principles are true regardless of the principle or I mean the, of the person or the circumstance. And what that means is you don't need a personal principle when a providential, providential one exists already. We could look at a, a verse like Proverbs 22, 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a principle, not, not a formula. That's a principle, not a promise. This is a wise saying, not a guarantee. Because many of you have had children that you've raised in the right way and you have not yet seen them come back. They've, they've actually departed the way. So what happened there? Did you fail? Has God failed in that? 
Or was this just a proverb, a wise saying that 90% of the time may be true, but there's sometimes where people just do what they're going to do and we don't have control over it. Can you see how this though can ebb away at what we believe about who God is, that his voice is strong enough and he is big enough to lead us, that his voice can do the things that Pastor Ingrid read about in that Psalm, that he can actually do those things. All this other stuff happens and we're like, I don't know. Seems to be, it's not congruent because we look for predictability. We look for a formula for our faith that says, this is always going to be the way it's going to be. When Jesus says, come and follow me. Just come and follow me. Don't worry about predicting patterns of behavior and what's going to happen. Just follow me. We tend to get really worked up when God seems unfair. When he does for one and not for another. John, John would live 15 years past the day of Pentecost. Peter, he would survive this moment and keep on living and going for another 23 years before he would be crucified. John, the disciple that Jesus loved, he would live into his 90s, good 60 years after the day of Pentecost. Such a vast difference between those three that were really close to Jesus and the length that they were able to live. Early Christians, though, They were taught to fully trust in the goodness of God amid a world that was just cruel and unjust and unfair. And this is a profound reminder of how we place our faith in Jesus precisely because life isn't always fair, but because God is always good. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, it would be this way for them. And they believed him. He's their buried treasure that's been found, which had more value than the whole field they found it in. Today, we tend to believe the kingdom now means prosperity and no problems. And we can be guilty of placing faith in formulas more than we do in following Jesus. And if someone isn't healed, we question the level or application of their faith. And if if God doesn't heal, we question whether or not he is healer at all. And while it doesn't provide all the answers, it seems that early Christians didn't share the same wrestle that we have. God is good and life can be good, but life is also unjust and terribly unfair at times. And they seem to have seen past their perspective to a deeper one. Gone were the questions of favoritism. Nobody's asking, Jesus, who's your favorite? Who do you love more? Who gets to sit beside you? Gone are those. They would die for their faith. Gone were their formulas. 
they found themselves in Christ. Like the old song sings, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is, is it well with your soul, no matter what happens? Whatever your lot, is it well with your soul? The only way it can be well in your soul is if you are in Christ. If you're following him so completely that it doesn't matter whether he heals you now or gives you what you need now, but you have him and him alone is all you need. Even when we ask deeper level questions, is God just? Is God just in doing this? When we try to wrestle that out, when we look from our perspective of what just is, or when we say, does he even care about justice? Because we look at what we would do in those situations, and we go, I wouldn't do that. We only need to keep reading to answer both those questions of what God thinks. Because remember, King Herod, the king, the authority, he had just killed James for no other reason than insecurity. As James worshipped a different king, and he did it to appease his subjects. When a group came seeking to make deals and have safety, the safety of his power on their side, they lauded him with praise. And as we read in Acts 21, it says this, or Acts 12, 21, it says this, on an appointed day, Herod put on his robes, took a seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. The next verse gives us a summary of what happened, but it is so vital for us to understand. It's a small verse, but its power is something we should pay attention to. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Herod, the king, is dead, but King Jesus is still alive. Herod, the king, with his unjust message of death, is dead, but King Jesus, with his message of love and life, is alive. Or, as we can read in Isaiah 48, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God is predictable in some ways, but in other ways he's not because there's a call just to follow him and where he calls us to go doesn't seem like the right place for us to go sometimes. Doesn't seem like the right move. Doesn't seem like it's the best thing for us, the healthiest thing for us, but he still says, come and follow me. When life is good, we follow Jesus. When life is unfair, we follow Jesus. When biblical principles seem to work perfectly, we follow Jesus. When they don't seem to come to pass, we follow Jesus. Because at times, life will be unfair. 
inferior power will seem to prevail. Injustice will feel insurmountable. Darkness will seemingly increase. He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Today, when you're tempted to lose faith over a formula, instead, anchor your faith in following our unfailing Lord. Let's pray. God, I just thank you that there is a predictable nature to you, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God, your love is unfailing. That God, when you say, all who call upon your name will be saved, it's truth that we can hold on to. But God, we also recognize that in following you, you're going to call us to do things, be in places, go to places, say things at, at times where we don't think it's right to say it. But you will call us to follow you in our desire to have safe and predictable patterns will fail us. Our desire to turn our faith into formulas will fail us if we don't hear your voice and follow it, if we don't stay with you and find ourselves completely in you rather than in religion or faith. So God, I just pray today, would you help us have that resolve to put our faith in you, no matter the circumstances, not because you're going to change our circumstances. We'll follow you either way. God, would you heal our hearts where we've been hurt because we've been taught to believe something or believe that your faith is going to lead us or faith in you is going to lead us to certain things and when they haven't, God, it's, it's crushed us and hurt us. So God, would you heal our hearts from, from past disappointment? Or would you also reframe what it looks like to follow you? May we be attentive to your voice, to your leading, to what you're doing, Jesus, and how it, it impacts our walk with you. May we find strength in you and in you alone. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.